he knows you. And this morning I'm going to just share uh, one thing that I saw prophetically, and then I'll, I'll release what he's put in my heart. But I saw him um, in our congregation here, in our midst, and he was pulling rotten fruit out of our life. Have you ever had stuff in your life that you just you don't want it there? Well, he wasn't going around and going, and then you know, plucking it out. He was being very, very careful to remove stuff that had rotten, that had been rotting, or things that were bruised. I saw him picking up fruit that was bruised. Some of you have been bruised this year. And he's saying, I want to take care of that. You can trust me. And I saw other fruit that had been crushed. He's removing this. He is the one who wants to release fruit that is so good. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and long-suffering. It's the very essence of God with us. And he wants us to feed on him. And he's taking some of these things out of our lives. But you know what? He wants us to say, come first. Come, Holy Spirit. So as we listen to him this morning, and I'm, Ramesh can tell you, I've been crying out to the Lord. And in myself, I have not had a message. I have not. I've had these little thoughts here and there. But last night, he began to speak. And when he speaks from his heart, it's impossible not to listen and Lord, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning. Your desire is towards us. Your desire is that we just know you so deeply and so sweetly and so powerfully. And so we welcome you here. Lord, please come in on the sound of my voice. Let it be your voice. In Jesus' name. This past year, um, we really felt the Lord was saying, you guys are on an incredible journey. This journey is an upward journey towards God. There's an inward journey dealing with the issues of our heart. And then there's the outward journey, an invitation that when we've encountered him, that we actually share that amazing gospel. And uh, for me, this year started out with his invitation to live face down in his presence. And when he said that, I was like, well, um, I'm not sure why you're saying that, but I don't know of a safer place than coming before the King of Kings and surrendering all that is precious to me. That is the safest place. It's also a dangerous place, but it is still the safest place in the world to live 
face down before him. And he said, I want you to push all of the things that you love into the center of our relationship. I want me to be the center of everything that is precious to you. Well, what a journey it has been. It was an invitation to let go. And my upward journey started with me going down. And let me tell you, walking in humility is such an amazing place of intimacy with God. You will know him better in that place than any other time in your life. We get to choose to humble ourselves and surrender. That is the privilege of a relationship, is that we get to choose that. And boy, do we ever move the heart of God when we choose him above everything else. So that was my upward journey focus. The next one, as Ramesh already mentioned, uh, God called Ramesh and I to a place of rest this year. It was a different kind of year. Um, the year before was too busy <laughs> to take a rest. We should have taken it last year. But this year, it was like, you must rest. And as Ramesh said, it wasn't a year of not doing anything. But true rest is that place of stillness. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And it was an invitation to know him, to put things down and hear him. In that place, I don't think we hear him if we don't still our hearts. There are, there are, there's so much outside noises. And there are even more inside noises. Dealing with fear, anxiety, worry, that sense of loss. You know, we, when, when we're still, we have a really hard time with that because nothing seems to stop on the inside. We just become aware of everything going 100 miles an hour. But he says, be still and know that I am God. There's an invitation to know him right in that place. And that's what happened to us, is that he brought so much healing. Physically, he healed us. Emotionally, he healed us. And spiritually, we gained strength. You can't have God's power without rest. And when he calls you to that place, even on a daily basis, when he says, come to the table, he's saying, I want you to come to the table and eat with me, sup with me. I want to feed you. I want to, I want to feed you my life force. And he, we can't do that without him, can we? And then the outward journey, at the same exact time that all these other journeys are taking place, you know what he said? And I don't know if you will remember this or not, but he said it over and over again last January. Arise, shine, for your light has come. This is Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. We live in a dark place. We do. But his glory appears over us. 
The Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This past year was a year of hearing the Lord's heart crying out for those who are in darkness. And he's saying, you have my light. I want you to shine. I want you to be a bright place for people. I think that we, we don't know how shiny we are. When you live in darkness, boy, oh boy, when people are believers, you can pick them out pretty fast. And we need to shine. We, we, we don't have to be apologizing for putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? We are the hope. We are the salt of the earth. That's what, that's what um, a relationship with Jesus, having his life in us, that's what happens. We become a source of life for everyone around us. And... Um, he was saying to us as a church, arise, shine. This was a year where we began to move into position so that we could, instead of a few people serving in the church, we began teams. We have a pastoral team. We have the freedom team. We have the worship teams. We have the connect teams. We have the core team. We have the leadership teams. We have the outreach teams. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but God is calling us into teams because we do not work well on our own. If we are on our own, then we begin to exalt each other to places that we can't, we can't live there. But when we work together and and we let God work in us, then the most amazing things can happen. Psalm 133 says how, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. There's a commanded blessing when we walk together, when we work on issues of the heart, when we choose to forgive rather than taking offense. When we learn how to, to cover one another's nakedness. When we actually step into acts of kindness and minister life to people. Oh, how beautiful that is to the Lord. Do you know that we move his heart when we take care of each other? When we love on each other? It's as though he is the one that we're ministering to. We need to remind ourselves of this. Last year, the Lord spoke to us that he wants to expand us. He wants to bring explosive growth into our lives. And you know what happened? We got pruned. Oh, joy, oh, bliss. But pruning is a good thing. And if you're facing that today, if you've been cut back, it's because God has some amazing, amazing um, fruitfulness in your life. He wants you to increase. But sometimes we get pruned because the life force is being sapped into the wrong fruit. 
And that rotten fruit takes away from what he wants to do. And so pruning is so important. But I want to honor you as a church body for staying the course and not backing away. Here, Ramesh and I are in a place of being called to rest. We can't come in and rescue. But you guys leaned in. You leaned in with each other. And you didn't leave each other. And when we went through pruning, you stuck with it. And boy, oh boy, you shine. You shine. And we honor you for your commitment to him this morning. I believe that's his heart. He wants to say that to you today. Some of you have suffered great loss this year. Marriages, family members, jobs, countries. Some of you have... have lost relationships that have been so dear and sweet to you. And he's saying, you, still, you are still with me. And I believe that he wants to fill up those places of emptiness. Even this morning, just let the water of his presence fill, fill, fill you. Just drink deeply of his love and affection for you this morning. He turns the bitter water into sweet. That's what he does. This has been a year of laying down our lives for each other and finding joy in it. Laying down our lives is what Jesus did, and we're becoming more like him as a result of that. Some of you have had to give up your dreams or put them on hold, but remember when you live face down, and you give it to him. He breathes on it. And resurrection life is part of the gospel. Amen? So there's so much that we could unpackage about 2018. But I'm reminded of Philippians 3.13. And it says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Lord is saying, yesterday was great. Yesterday was painful, but you found me in it. But this coming year, oh my goodness, press in, folks, but press into me. Do you know what? It's still the same message. It's still the same message, but he knows that our ears get dull. And so he, he, he says things differently sometimes. And when I was asking him, Lord, what do you want to say in 2019? He said something so simple, I didn't think I heard right. And he said, I want you to know me. He says, I want you to lead people to Jesus. Lead people to me. You know, we have that phrase in, in our, our Christianese. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to lead somebody to Christ. Or I'm leading someone to Christ. Does that mean that you make it happen? Not at all. When we lead people to Christ, it is because we're leading by example. That we are leading in the choices that we make. That we are leading in that love relationship that we have with him. 
And those who need him and are hungry for him will see. There will be nothing blocking and keeping us from him. And so for 2019, he's saying, I want you to know me. Again, be still and know that I am God. Let's turn to Ephesians 3.16. In fact, I, you can read along, but I'm just going to read it. This has been a reoccurring verse for our church. This was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And we took it personally because the Lord kept pointing to this and saying, this is what I want for you. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How does Christ live in us. It's by a simple, childlike faith that when we ask him to come into our heart, he comes in. It's just that simple. It has to be simple because we're kids. We are very simple. But he goes on, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I have known Jesus Christ for a long, long time. I've had the privilege of walking with him and knowing him. But this past year has been unbelievable in my experience of encountering his affection. One night, I woke up to a dream I had, and in the dream, um, I felt the love of God for my brother. Now, my brother doesn't know the Lord, and I have love for my brother that is pretty fierce, I love him so much, and I don't want him to be without God. Anybody join me on that? We got family. We love them, and we're not saying no. We're, we're pressing in that they would know Jesus. We're jealous for that, and we got God's heart on that. So I woke up feeling God's love washing over my brother just coming in waves. I have never experienced that kind of love between me and the Lord. But here I was experiencing it on behalf of somebody else. It has, every time that I think of it, it rocks my world. He, we are so intensely loved that we, we can't even have words for it. You, you can't have words for it. You have to experience it. And this is, this is the kind of prayer that God wants for us, that we would be so rooted and established and compelled and changed and transformed by this love, not by religion, 
not by rules and regulations. That spoils it for all of us. The law was to lead us to Christ, not to dominate us. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And this love that I was feeling for, for my brother, coupled with the love of God, it was almost too much. It's like, oh God, what do I do with this? And he said, just receive it because I love you like this. And I began to have these layers of hardness come off of my life that I didn't even know were there. I'm a spiritual leader. I should be the first one receiving the love of God. But here I was so aware of the emptiness of what I have to offer him. But he still loves me like that. How does he do that? How does he take it when I'm negligent in my relationship with him? Wow. Verse 10. Why does God want us to experience this kind of love? Well, verse 10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, that's through you and I, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, it's not just about what's happening on an earthly plane. In heavenly realms, he is being glorified and the kingdom of darkness loses. The kingdom of darkness is not advancing. It is going the other way. The kingdom of God is advancing. And arise, shine, for your light has come. But this happens because of one thing. Because we know Jesus. If I was to ask you today, personally, uh, how do you know Jesus? Or what do you know about him? We'd all have different things that we would share. Do we know his presence? Have we experienced his presence here? Yes. Jesus, you're right here right now. We want more. We want to know you as a church. We want to feel your love. We want to be so rooted and grounded in your love. Do we know his ways? Do we know the way that he likes to do things? Do we know his dislikes and his likes? Do we know what he loves? Do we know what he hates? You see, because we're in covenant with him, because we're in a relationship with him, we get to find out these things, don't we? This is not elusive. We can know. We can know his heart. We know him through his word. And we don't read his word without his presence, without his spirit there to show us. As I was sharing with the girls a couple weeks ago, this is a love letter. It will be hard and cold and mean-spirited if you read this out of context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This will be a cruel book. In fact, the word of God says that the truth kills 
but the Spirit gives life. The truth without the grace of God, we would just be destroyed. We can't handle reality. And, and so we need to know God based on the truth of what he, of who he is. He's the one to reveal that tr- uh, to us. But let me tell you, it's really important in human relationships to tell the truth, isn't it? Really, really important. The trust factor goes way down if you're, a li- if you're lying. And believe me, God is a jealous God. He doesn't tell you that, he's, that there are many ways to him. He says there's only one way to me. And I'll tell you why, if you want to know what I think. Why would Jesus have to go to the cross? Why would the Father have, have to have this plan of salvation for, for us if there was any other way? There was only one way to pierce the darkness. And Jesus chose it because of this love. Love compelled him to go to the cross. We know him when we encounter his purity. We know him when we encounter not guilt, not condemnation, but true conviction. What a joy to be truly confronted with something that could destroy us. And when he tells us the truth, there is so much mercy and grace that goes along with it. He provides the way for us to make those hard choices because that's who he is. This is knowing him. We need to know his forgiveness because he is a forgiver. And he doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because that's who he is. He is a God of peace. We need to know him. We need to have that peace anchoring us. He is a God who is lighthearted. He's full of fun. He's great fun, in fact. He celebrates. He rejoices. He's the one that's saying, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing isn't hard work. It's just a love language that goes on between lovers. That's what prayer is. And boy, oh boy, he loves us. We need to know Jesus in his sufferings. And some of you all, I just saw you do this. No, 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 suffering On the other side of suffering, there's so much beauty. I I listened to somebody just this week who, they've been suffering intolerably. And they've been comforting other people. Where does that come from? That's because they know Jesus in the suffering. And they know that they've got a life source. And he's their hope. And there is light at the end of this. And so we are able to know him in his suffering and make sense of it. Whereas the world does not know that this makes sense in the end. That all things do work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And and the purpose is that we live as close to his chest as possible. 
We listen to his heartbeat. We love the sound of his heartbeat in our own chests. Imagine the God of all the universe who created this vessel lives now in this vessel. And I'm not God, but I'm a part of him now because he wanted me. I get to know him. I get to know him in truth. And he is faithful. I could go on and on and on. I know his power. I've been delivered and healed from life-threatening things over and over and over again. And he's more jealous over my life than I am. And he has given me hope when I had not, no hope. And when I have suffered from, being, from sitting in the darkness, he's been the one to say, don't stare at the darkness. Get your eyes on me, because what you stare at will consume you. And he's invited me to look at him and to keep my eyes fixed on him because he's the author and the perfecter of my faith. Not even me. There's no way I could resolve long enough to be able to keep myself from, from alienating myself from him and other people. Listen, folks, his keeping power rests on us. We don't save ourselves. We never have been able to. But I have been invited to lean into his righteousness because that belongs to me. I live my life through him. Uh, Galatians says that I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that's living, but it's Christ who lives in me. Just put your hand on your heart if, if you have him in there and just marvel at the reality of that. And if you don't have him in there, then just say, come in. Just that simple. Just ask him to come in. And don't just come in, but Lord, I want to know you. I want to know all these things about you and way, 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 way more. Because there's way, 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 way more that he wants to show us about himself. We need to know him like we've never known him before. Because there's dust bunnies on us. We don't share the gospel because we don't quite know what it is that, that we've embraced. We, if we know him the way that he really is, folks, our hearts will burn. Hey, Gail, our hearts are burning on the inside, aren't they? Oh, what a love he is. What a love he has for us. What a love. What a plan. What a plan. I don't deserve a speck of it. I never will. But he deserves my praise and my glory. And there are rulers and kingdoms of darkness that are scared spitless of you and me because we're dangerous when we love him back. I'm going to read 1 John 5.11. It says, This is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. 
Eternal life is not space and time that goes on and on forever and ever. I don't know if you realize this. Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is Jesus, God himself, manifested and living on the inside of us. That is why we will live forever, because his life is on the inside of us. Now, if we don't have him living here, we are eternally separated from him. And that's what we call death. We are eternal beings, but we're separated from that life force. I know what it's like to not have Jesus in my life. I know what it's like to have that dread and that hopelessness and that fear. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Come in this room right now. I just feel like he's piercing the darkness today. He wants you. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, it still hasn't changed his agenda. He wants you, and he wants more of you. And we want more of you, Lord. And we, we ask that you will come. We give you ourselves today. We have you. You have us. That's how a good relationship works. But there is no greater relationship than this one. I believe that the Lord is, is saying to us today that this focus in 2019 is more important than you could ever know because of what is coming. It is of the, of the utmost importance that we know him in the coming year because there are going to be many things that come to steal our affection, to steal our focus, to steal our life away and the lives of others around us that we love. And he's saying, be on guard, be watchful, know me, know me, know me. I want to turn lastly to Ephesians, or I mean Revelations 2. This is where uh, Jesus addresses the seven churches in Revelation. And he lets them know uh, things that are on his heart about those churches. Does Jesus look at our church and have things, about, things in his heart? Of course. I believe that we have an angel assigned to our church. I believe that, that as soon as we came together with the purpose of glorifying him in our midst, that there was a lot of shifting and moving going around in spiritual places to make room for us, to release his heart towards us as one body. Well, this was Ephesus. Do you remember, does everybody know where Ephesus was located? In Turkey. Turkey, yes. So this is what... Jesus said about Turkey, I mean, about Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. Have you ever felt that 
God was confronting you with something. And he says, I have something that I want to talk to you about. He was talking to Ephesus about this. And this is what he says. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't change or repent, I'll come to you and remove you from your place. It's interesting to note that there were seven churches that he addressed, and not one of those churches remain in Turkey today. And I felt that he was saying to us as a church, If your love has grown cold, there's likely some reasons behind it. And he wants to minister to us today because he doesn't want us to lose that place of devotion, of knowing his love for us it goes beyond human comprehension. Jesus is saying to us today, I value a relationship with you more than you could ever imagine. I'm just going to move into a time of ministry right now. If you could just, just shut yourself away with the Lord for a moment. And if any of these ring true, let's just, let's just be honest with him in the privacy of our own heart. You know, we may think that we, that we know him, but I'm reminded of Matthew 25 where the ten virgins were invited to the wedding banquet and five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The wise ones took oil with them. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. That love relationship, taking the fuel of that relationship with them on the journey. And it says that the journey was long and they all fell asleep. It's easy for all of us to fall asleep. Okay? It is that, we are designed to sleep at some point. However, when the call came, the bridegroom was coming. The, the foolish virgins had not taken the oil. They hadn't cultivated their relationship. And so they had to go get oil. And while, while they had gone to buy oil, the bridegroom, the door opened, the guests went in, and the door closed. And so then... Those that had gone to get oil, they came back and they pounded on the door and they said, um, let us in. And do you know what he said? I don't know you. I don't know you. And this is where we are today in the honesty of our own hearts. Do we know him? Are we encountering him? Are we being changed to be more and more like him? What a privilege to have him living on the inside of us. But we can take this relationship for granted. We can neglect it. We can get so busy that we, we're like the, the Ephesians. And we, we get so busy, we start getting severe and legalistic and mean-spirited. And he's saying, you're going to stay soft when you come 
and you become pliable in my presence and you drink in my love for you. Don't neglect that time with me. Make it a habit to take those five minutes, half an hour, longer, whatever you, whatever it takes for you to lock eyes with him, to know that you're looking at him enough that he will change you. Maybe in the busyness, you've just stopped using your language, your, your worship language. You know, he doesn't call us to worship because he wants the worship. He invites us to worship him because we need to worship him. We need to know the God who hovers over us and kisses us. Worship means to kiss towards. Well, we get to kiss him back. And he knows that we need to kiss. We need to be revived and we need to share his love. We may have grown cold on the inside due to disappointment. Disappointment has a terrible way of pulling the rug out from under you. And you feel like you've, you get disoriented. And your love grows cold because you go into self-protection mode. And the Lord's saying, I'm not going to disappoint you but because this isn't over yet. You may have experienced disappointments, but let me show you who I am. Maybe you've had delays. You didn't get your prayers answered the way that you thought. You've gotten discouraged. Discouragement is losing heart. Even the word courage. It's like the courage left. But encourage means that God comes and he infuses us with his love and his courage. And he says, I am for you and who can be against you? And so today, where you have felt even some resentment, and of course you wouldn't just blatantly shake your fist at God, but there's still that little resentment and you, you find it hard to even talk with him. That's a hardness that he wants to melt. And he wants to show you that he is good and his mercies endure forever. And he's saying, don't walk through this on your own. Let me revive you. Let go of the resentment. Push it into the center. Put it on the altar. Put the bitterness on the altar. Put all those disappointments on the altar. See, he wants the good stuff from our life, but he wants the bad stuff just as much because that can also come between us. The Lord wants to minister to you today if you've been joining with the accuser. The accuser of the brethren comes to condemn us and make us look inward without grace. I've resolved in my heart that I'm not going to look at my life unless he is showing me through the, through the filter of grace because I will just end up condemned. And that's the enemy's job. He wants us to be self-focused. And as soon as we're self-focused, we don't see Jesus. We just see what's missing, what's lacking, what isn't working. And then we're consumed by it. And his invitation is look away, look away, look back at me the lover of your soul. You never started this journey because you are righteous. 
I came to Jesus based on, I can't do this. Who are you? And you know what? It's not going to change. I still can't do it. And who are you to me today, Lord? I need you today. And I'm pressing on you. I'm pressing on your chest to know who you are. Uh, Patricia Bootsma uh, said that she wrote uh, to us that she believes that uh, for 2019, the Lord is saying that he wants us to have a personal revival because a personal revival um, precedes a corporate revival. And I believe that's one of the reasons why he's getting us so focused on knowing him and living from this well that never runs dry because we are going to shine like crazy. We need to know Jesus in such a way that when people look at us, they know that he is truly Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we lift our hearts to you today. And we thank you that we can even call you Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come and peel away any hardness or anything that has caused us to keep at a distance. We ask that you will come even now and fill us afresh. And as we turn this page and turn into the new year, Lord, we pray that even as a church, that we would burn brightly for you. And that if there are any places in our hearts that still need him, that we won't resist that healing, but we'll welcome him. We'll welcome his breath on us. And we, we ask, Lord, that you would continually kiss us as we kiss towards you in this next year. And Lord, we ask you to draw people to our congregation, to our assignments at work and school and in our families, that you will draw people to the light because you are the light in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. If you want ministry, further ministry, please come. Our, um, our team is here to pray with you. We'll just stay up at the front. Come and get us.